trust the movement, I negate the chaos, uplift the negative, I'll show up at the table again and again. Welcome to Grassroot Ohio, conversations with everyday people working on important issues here in Columbus and all around Ohio. I'm Carolyn Harding, and today I'm talking with Tish Odell, a powerful voice for justice in Ohio, the U.S., and globally. Tish has been a community organizer for CELDEF, Community Environmental Legal Defense Fund, since 2012, assisting residents to organize rights-based initiatives in their communities in order to help them make real the just and sustainable communities they envision for the future. CELDEF has assisted hundreds of communities across the country to develop first-in-nation laws banning fracking, factory farming, sludging, water privatization, industrial-scale energy development, and others addressing workers' rights, homeless rights, immigrant rights, fair election issues, and nature's rights, including the first-in-the-nation law recognizing the rights of a specific ecosystem, the Lake Erie Bill of Rights, in 2019. Tish is a founding board member of the Ohio Community Rights Network, organizing and assisting county chapters to build a movement of community rights organizing throughout the state to culminate in constitutional change that will guarantee people's rights to local self-governance and the rights of people and nature over corporations. Tish founded the grassroots organization Madian, Mothers Against Drilling in Our Neighborhoods, in her hometown of Broadview Heights, Ohio, that successfully campaigned to adopt the first Home Rule Charter Amendment in Ohio, creating a community bill of rights banning new gas drilling, fracking, and injection wells in 2012. Tish has also been featured in the documentary We the People 2.0, appeared on the Tom Hartman Show and The Daily Show, and is one of the editors of the 2021 book, Death by Democracy, Protecting Water and Life, Frontline Stories from Ohioans Fighting Corporate and State Power. This week from the Columbus Dispatch, Governor Mike DeWine signed a bill into law Monday, removing training, background check, and permitting requirements to carry a concealed weapon in Ohio. Prior law required them to undergo eight hours of training, a background check, and an application through their local sheriff. In 2006, the legislature passed a law preemptively blocking Ohio cities from passing any gun restrictions stricter than those established by the state. The law was used to squash lawsuits from Ohio cities, including Clyde, Cleveland, and Cincinnati, seeking to regulate guns within their borders. State legislators have been very busy writing and passing preemptive laws. According to a Cincinnati.com article, the Ohio Municipal League has a tally of 17 laws passed since 2003 and another 21 pending bills that usurp local control. Plastic bag bans, traffic cameras, minimum wage proposals to HB 278, which preempted municipal authority over permitting, location, and spacing of oil and gas wells on municipal property. Welcome, Tish. Congratulations on your book, Death by Democracy. Yeah, well, I didn't do it alone. I just edited it. It's all these community members, and I know you've been part of this too, Carolyn. So thanks for having me on. I want to give our listeners a little primer. Most folks don't know what state preemption is. Can you give our listeners an introduction? Sure. 
Yeah, none of us, we don't know until we face it, right? And that's how I started, you started. Yeah, when we come face to face with it, we're like, oh, that's what it is. Well, state preemption is a preemption, it's a doctrine, actually, a legal doctrine. It refers um, to the fact that a higher authority of law will displace the law of a lower authority when the two come into conflict. So like what you mentioned, okay, and sometimes we have three levels of government, right? Federal, state, and local. And so sometimes, yeah, those come in conflict. And normally we're used to seeing the federal and the state come into conflict. And the Constitution and court rulings have stated that federal law is the supreme law of the land. But of course, you know, there's always gray areas when it comes to the law. So, you know, the gun examples you gave, the Constitution says that's federal, right, that people have the right to bear arms. But we see different states, different laws being applied to um, gun rights, Abortion's another issue. Um, Roe versus Wade is supposedly federal law, and yet we see states um, challenging that in both legislatures and courts. Of course, you know, it gets complicated. Like I said, nothing with the law is simple, right? So we also have two trains of thought, one called ceiling preemption, which is what you described with the gun law. So that in other words, where the state and federal law sets the maximum level of protection, for rights and people's health, safety, and welfare. So local governments can't pass laws setting more protective or more protections because the state or the federal level is already the maximum. But in contrast, there's something we believe floor preemption, which is where the state or federal sets just the minimum level of protection and that local law should be able to provide greater protections. So just as an example, um, take the Clean Water Act. I mean, that's a federal law. Well, the state can pass laws that are more protective of the water than what's in the Clean Water Act. They can't lower the standards, but they can pass laws that are more protective. Well, we feel that local governments should also be able to set more restrictive protections of the water in their jurisdictions, but not below the federal or state. You know, so kind of like as a progression. Of course, the court's don't necessarily agree with us on that. <laughs> so. so tell me, this has been happening more and more in Ohio, state preemptive laws. What is the purpose and why are they doing this? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and I know me and you met back at Democracy so back like 10 years ago already. So and we learned about, you know, our constitution, right? And it's the opulent minority. So our founding fathers were part of this opulent minority that protected the interests their interests, the wealthy minority. And a lot of them are still pushing for this because they know there's more of the people, right? Numbers wise, we have the numbers. So how do they do this? And they've formed a system. So it's ultimately about control over who gets to make the decisions, right? Who decides which projects go forward? Who decides rates of taxation? Who decides how those tax dollars are spent? Who decides what and if we get to vote on certain things or for what people? So, you know, again, they put this system in place that protects the minority interest since the beginning, and it's just continued. You know, we've been propagandized that we live in a democracy by, for, and of the people, and that illusion survived for centuries, and it's really going strong today. And preemption laws, you know, they figured out this is a a tool. It's one of the tools they have. It's not all the tools, but it's a pretty powerful tool that, like you said, they're using a lot today. And it's the easiest and most expedient way mm-hmm. to make sure that those minority interests remain intact. 
you know, when you think about the electoral system and how rigged it is, so they can outspend, right, any of us like in our local community groups um, on candidates or issues that maybe we want to put in place. I mean, they control the two largest political parties, you know, and they have people, I think, conned a bit, you know, because they're always throwing around, you know, we're a law law abiding society or we're a society of laws or that whole thing. Well, once they pass a preemption law, yeah. people didn't have anything. We didn't get to vote on it, right? It doesn't go on the ballot. And they mm-hmm. pass it. And then they use that whole statement of it's the law. Mm-hmm. You can't do anything about it. It's the law. You know, and so we kind of, I call it, you know, when I talk to groups, it's the law syndrome that we suffer from. Because we think because they've passed the laws that, oh, well, it's, it's, it's you know, ingrained in stone and there's nothing we can do about it. And they use these obviously, you know, these laws to stop us locally from putting in place laws that we feel would be more protective of our communities. Okay, Tish, I'm going to um, stop right there. I know with the Columbus Community Bill of Rights, it was the um, state preemption bill um, that the ODNR has complete jurisdiction over siting, drilling, waste disposal. So how can a group like ours and all the other community rights groups and communities, how can we defang these, these preemption bills? Mm-hmm. How can we re- regain our rights to protect our communities? Right. I mean, that's a big question, right? Yeah. How that's do why we- I asked you. Well, no, and, I'm, and how do we, well, it's how do we resist anything that we consider unjust and illegitimate? I mean, I personally, it's my personal opinion that this is all done. I mean, it's illegitimately that they're passing these laws. I mean, yeah. and we have lots of examples here just in Ohio. Um, we saw in, and I'm forgetting the year exactly, but it was House Bill uh, 463. And it was a preemption bill on giving boards of elections the authority to look at the substance of initiatives passed or presented by the people. And and just to make clear, because some people might not understand, but in Ohio, that's a constitutional right we have. And it was actually grassroots activists from the past. So around 1900, in the 1900s, early 1900s, they felt the state legislature was corrupt and that it was not representing the interests of the people. And so they fought to get initiative for all of us that we have tried to use, you know, the people in the book, Death by Democracy, and a lot of us in our communities, and breathe life into that. And what that was, was a way for people to legislate directly. So we know legislature can pass laws and legislate, but the the constitutional right of initiative that they fought for was to put the people to be a check and balance directly on the legislature. Mm -hmm. seen as an eroding of that. So that House Bill 463, it was actually a foreclosure bill. And they inserted this language in about initiative petitions and that the Board of Elections has the right to preempt us from putting things on the ballot. They also did it again after LIBOR passed in 2019. Lake Erie Bill of Rights. The Lake Erie Bill of Rights, sorry. Yes, they put in after it passed, they didn't want any more rights of nature laws in Ohio. So the day before the budget bill, which is a you know several thousand page document goes up for a vote, 
they inserted language in and it was representative hoops from Northwest Ohio. And through public records requests, we found out that it was the Ohio Chamber of Commerce that wrote this language, preempting rights of nature, inserted it sneakily in to the bill, and it just passed. Most legislators probably didn't even know it was inserted in there. And it now preempts any other communities from attempting rights of nature. So no discussion, no debate. It wasn't introduced on the legislature floor. People couldn't come in and give comments, even other legislatures. That doesn't sound like democracy that, you know, I learned about in school or what I think of when I think of democracy. So we're going to come back to this at the end of our show. But this is Carolyn Harding with Grassroot Ohio, and I'm talking to Tish O'Dell. And she is an organizer with Community Environmental Legal Defense Fund and with Ohio Community Rights Network. Tish. You've just been the major editor for this new book that came out, Death by Democracy. That's pretty incendiary name, kind of wonderful. Um, I'd like you to talk about what inspired you to write this book and what was the impetus? Well, after working, I worked with all the communities directly in the book. And so, you know, they started back, I started in my community 2012, 2013, then I think is when the first um, Athens started in 2013, and a couple of other communities. And honestly, you know, you don't think in the moment when you're doing it, that it's going to be that impactful. And or that you're in the middle of a movement, that it's not just that single moment, but it's a movement. And so looking back and reflecting on 10 years and all these efforts by all these communities in Ohio and what had happened, we started talking about it and said, this is very powerful. And maybe it started out as a pamphlet. We were just going to do a pamphlet and went to the community groups and said, oh, why don't you just start putting your stories down? You know, it's something we're not really good at. Other cultures are better, I think, at documenting their histories and what they've done. And so it started out, and at first I, I was going to limit them to words, you know, like because some of the community groups said, well, how many words should we write? And I, you know, and they were like, mm, just write it down. Just start writing it all down. And it just kept getting longer and longer. <laughs> and what was funny is some of the groups even forgot pieces, and I reminded them, and then they wrote things and I had forgotten about. So, you know, it was really a good exercise. but. Even for myself, when I read them all together, it was so impactful, like to actually see it laid out, like how it was all three branches of our government that were the ones that were actually squashing the people's efforts to try to protect their communities or to use their democratic rights that they have, their constitutional rights. So it was you know, the administrative branch between the Secretary of State's office, you know, and the Attorney General. And then there was the legislative branch, obviously passing these preemption bills. Um, and then the judicial branch just backed them up. So it was like, you know, the people, I was like, you know, it's actually our democracy, what the institutions that we believe, you know, protect our democracy are actually what's squashing all your efforts. What do, what do these communities have in common? I know there's seven of them and they're all over Ohio. Are there any elements besides their democracy being squashed? What do they have in common? Well, I mean, they all worked on initiatives, either local laws or some of them worked on charters. And to put these on the ballot, again, breathing life into their constitutional right to do this and to give voters in their communities a chance to have a voice. You know, like we're talking about preemption laws. People don't get to vote on those. 
So people feel like they have no control. And really, that's what a lot of this all is. It's about who decides. And right now, the system's set up so there's this small minority that is deciding everything for us. And so these initiatives in these communities all started because they wanted to give the people in the community a voice. And signing petitions is a great way to do it because what people, when they sign a petition, doesn't mean that they're voting yes or no. It means I want the chance to vote on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what was taken away from all these communities that were kept off the ballot. And then the ones that did pass like in my community and the Lake Erie Bill of Rights in Toledo, they were challenged by, again, that wealthy minority that's in control. You know, I call it the corporate state a lot of times and went to court and the courts overturned the laws that were passed by the people. So in my community, it was two drilling companies that didn't even reside in the community. And yet they overturned the vote of 67% of the people. In Toledo, you know, over 61% or 62% voted for that. And there was one farm industry, right, industrial farm that isn't even located within the city of Toledo and the state of Ohio that overturned their law that they passed democratically. So, Kish, I'm, I'm friends or colleagues with most of the folks that have written these chapters. And I know with the Columbus Community Bill of Rights, we aren't finished we're not finished with our, our pursuing a charter amendment for the city of Columbus. Um, and if you look at other illegal activities that have shifted to becoming legal, a lot of times like the vote for women, it happened by Susan B. Anthony going to vote and getting arrested, or it happened by states, one state uh, making it legal for women to vote. It takes people of courage. It takes leaders of courage. And I feel like in Ohio, our leaders haven't felt courage, enough courage to buck the threat of state preemption. They did in Pennsylvania, in, um, in Pittsburgh, they enacted a Bill of Rights to keep fracking out of Pittsburgh, even though there was a, probably a bill, a state law that they couldn't. So what, what needs to happen? To, for folks to go past these preemptive laws that are written most often by corporate interests for their own profit. Right. And, you know, and it's a difficult because it's, again, how do laws change? Yeah. Look back to history. How do laws change? And again, and when you think of it as a power shift, because I've talked about that a couple of times, this is all about power and control. They, it doesn't come easily. And it's not any one thing that's going to make that happen. Um, it's by the people. Again, we really do have power when we fight collectively. And that's mm-hmm. what this is. I mean, the reason they passed the preemption bill against rights of nature after Libor is because it almost like kind of let a genie out of the box, out of the bottle, right? of nature, it was covered by all kinds of media outlets, not just in Ohio, but nationally, internationally. And what do they fear the most? Being exposed, right? Because when people, like you said, a lot of people don't know what preemption is, right? So like this book, by going ahead and passing laws, even if then they get overturned or they don't get on the ballot, that's all about exposing the system and how it's working so that people understand you can't change a system when you don't even understand how it's working. 
So to me, a lot of this work that we're doing is to expose and educate people on what's really going on, because the illusion, they're so good at like convincing us of certain things (laughs) that aren't real. So this illusion of democracy, well, how is it democracy when people, you know, they're controlling, look at even at the presidential level, the federal level, right? I mean, did people, you know, did Bernie not get on the ballot because there was some game playing going on? You know, so all this idea that if we just elect and they keep us divided and separated by labeling us, right? They label us conservative or liberal or Democrat or Republican, when in reality, a lot of the things that happen locally in our communities they impact all of us, no matter what label is on us, right? So we all want clean water. We all need clean air. We all want healthy food. And yet we know who's benefiting from the way the rules are set up right now and not protecting those things. And unfortunately, folks um, oftentimes won't take action until they feel and actually are impacted by the harm. Because right now in Columbus Watershed, there are currently 13 active injection wells taking radioactive toxic frac waste into our watershed. I mean, it's going to impact our water supply. But but for some reason, the city of Columbus, the the courts, the um, board of election, they're not worried about it. They're not wanting to be proactive about our resources. And at the state level, if if someone gets elected to become a state rep, what can that person do to change, to make it possible that folks can protect their communities from industrial harms? Like you said, it's going to take brave people. And we just had an example a few weeks ago um, of a state rep from New York State reached out to us at CELDEF and said he wanted to propose, and his name is Representative Pat Burke, He wanted to propose uh, rights of nature law for the Great Lakes. He originally proposed one for Lake Erie, but through this, you know, because there's a lot of cultural shift in thinking that has to happen too. You know, this whole idea of green energy and all these different things, but that's another conversation. But we have to, he decided and said, you know what, I see that the Great Lakes are all interconnected. I mean, even just protecting one isn't enough. And He has children and we had long conversations and he understands more now, I think, about rights of nature. I mean, that's an evolving thing and we can talk about that. But he was brave enough to propose it. And what was interesting is he said, well, some of my um, strong environmental, you know, groups that support my, my, you know, candidacy and being a state rep, he goes, I want to talk to them. And then came back to us and said, well, you know what, one of our groups, our biggest supporters, doesn't support the Bill of Rights. And I said, who's that? And he said, the water keepers. <laughs> and I said, really? Well, oh. and I said, that's interesting. So we even got on a call, me and Ben Price with Seldef with the water keepers people. Good. They just won't support it because you're going to get sued. It's illegal. It's unconstitutional. And, you know, they're not willing to stand up and take that risk. Um, but they and- will when they will eventually when they realize that the the success this movement is having, you know, Tish, there are so many fronts in this fight and, Mm -hmm. you know, and so many ways to reach an objective and the bill of rights and the rights of nature is a powerful tactic. Right. And what I was going to say, but he didn't let that stop him. You know, I was afraid that we're going to come. He's like, 
can't do it if the water keepers don't support it. But he was brave enough. So back to that again. And you're right. They may evolve in their thinking. I mean, we've seen it in Ohio, but that whole idea, yes. we're all going to have to make personal choices, right? What's most important and what are we willing to stand up for? And is getting sued, you know, scarier than your kids being poisoned, you know, like, you know, those are all choices that people are going to have to think about and make. And, you know, this belief that we think that there's agencies out there that are protecting us and our water and our air. And when you get into this, like you said, Carol, when it happens to you and your community, you realize they're not. It's part of the illusion. In fact, part of a lot of them, those agencies are on the side of the industry or they're they're getting payback or something because they're definitely not making choices to support, you know, our rights, community rights or the nature's um, survival. Right. on that. Yeah, that's why I said when you mentioned preemption, that's one tool and that's the regulatory fallacy we talk about because people don't understand how that works. They give it names like, you know, the Environmental Protection Agency. So, of course, you think it's protecting the environment when it's in reality, the more you get into this, you realize that's not it at all. It's there to regulate it. And we're living now with the, you know, consequences of regulating harm, not stopping it. And it's not good, but that's one tool. Corporate constitutional rights is another tool they use to, you know, squash our efforts and, you know, not being able to create the just and sustainable communities we want. Those are all things we come up against. Well, let's continue on with the rights of nature, because I know that CELDEF has actually helped, what is it, Ecuador? One of the um, Latin American countries that um, passed rights of nature in their constitution. Can you talk about that? Yeah, actually, the very first rights of nature law um, and what a rights of nature law is, is it actually recognizes that an ecosystem has the right to exist, flourish, regenerate, you know, some people say, you know, naturally evolve without human caused disruption, um, that an ecosystem is entitled to legal personhood status and so has the right to defend itself in court, a court of law against harms. So to me, what it is, it's kind of leveling the playing field a bit, because right now nature and all of us in our communities can't really get into court to defend, you know, those rights. And that means the scale's been out of balance and out of whack. And so, of course, again, when you think of it as a power shift, that's why those with all the power and control are so threatened and, you know, by rights of nature, because it's trying to level that a bit more. Doesn't mean that everything's going to go away. You know, like some people have like made silly comments that, oh, you just, you know, the, this is going to take over and change the whole court system or this is going to, you know, we're not going to be able to cut our grass or cut down a tree in our yards. It's, that's not it at all. Um, but it's looking at the entire ecosystem and realizing that we humans are part of that ecosystem. We're not separate from it. How can we be healthy if nature isn't healthy? So when yeah, I was five years old. Sorry, Tish. When I was five years old, I was um, vacationing up at Lake Erie, and that was back in the '60s when it was so polluted. And I remember swimming in the waves and gulping down the water, just like a kid would, you know. But then that next week. I got so sick, I had to go to Children's Hospital, be on an IV, had dysentery for for a week, pretty critical condition. So I had a very personal experience with the pollution of Lake Erie. So I'm very personally committed to protecting Lake Erie, which is, you know, under, you know, barrage by 
toxins and industrial um, agriculture waste and all everything else. The rights of Lake Erie to thrive. If we don't do something, it's it's going to become a toxic just waste pit. Oh, no, that, and it, that's a good point. It is, that's, I mean, there's so much to talk about with this. And, you know, I'm in Cleveland, so it's like I'm the place where the Cuyahoga River caught on fire, right? <laughs> it's like how horrible that was. And so all people got up in arms. And in a way, now I look back at history and what I see happening to Lake Erie today. And people think, well, the, it doesn't catch on fire and the river doesn't catch on fire. And I'm like, well, that's a pretty low standard. You know, and in a way, maybe that was like, I don't know, maybe more honest because I could see, you could see the oil and things floating in the river. Now it's like, there's so many chemicals. I mean, you can't see radium in the water. You can't see PCBs. You can't see, you know, the horrible toxins that are in the water. And I want you to tell people about your rights of nature workshop coming up on Sunday, March 27th. Okay. Well, it's your group, the Columbus Community Bill of Rights group that asked me to put that on. And so it's free. And there's some links that you can go to the Columbus Community Bill of Rights website and sign up there. And yeah, we're going to go over. It's a two hour workshop and kind of if people are interested in more information about rights of nature. Thank you so much, Tish, for your work. I look forward to going to your workshop. I just can't wait. You're going to continue this with all the other community members in the book. So yes, get the book too. (laughs) Get the book, Death by Democracy. In addition to our Friday 5 p.m. broadcast on WGRN.org, Grassroot Ohio now airs on Sundays at 2 p.m. on WCRSFM.org. You've been listening to Grassroot Ohio 94.1 FM, WGRN.org. We air Friday nights at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and you can listen to all our previous shows archived on the top post of our Grassroot Ohio Facebook page. There's a time to listen and learn, a time to organize and strategize, and a time to stand up, fight back.